Hello, this is Pastor Pete Beck III with LifeNet in Burlington, North Carolina. Welcome to today's podcast, which is entitled, How to Use Frustration to Our Advantage. Have you ever wondered why God often chose barren women to become mothers of some of the key people in Jewish history? It cannot be mere coincidence. Our Lord is bound to be teaching us something very important. The recurring theme is for a man to marry a woman he dearly loves only to discover she cannot conceive. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel, Elkanah and Hannah. In those days, God allowed men to have more than one wife, which is important to making my point because it set up a situation in which frustration, jealousy, mocking, and torment came into play. Hagar mocked Sarah. Leah mocked Rachel. And Penina did the same to Hannah. Satan is called the accuser of God's people in Revelation 12.10. Our enemy's weapons against us include lies, intimidation, fear, mockery, and accusation. Since we're all very imperfect people, there is plenty of ammunition for him to use against us. And he is not above making up lies to fuel his accusations too. In the days when the Old Testament stories were lived out, the ability to have children was supremely important in a measure of God's blessing. Conversely, childlessness was viewed with disdain as a sign of God's judgment. Children are a blessing from the Lord in so many ways. They bring joy and fulfillment to their parents. In Old Testament times, they helped out with the enormous workload around the home and farm. In addition, children were security in old age before there were government programs for the elderly. To be childless was to miss out on all of this. It also opened a couple up to being looked down upon by family, friends, and neighbors. What's wrong? Why hasn't God blessed them? Is there sin in their lives? What made matters worse for many barren women was the presence of another wife who is able to bear children for their husband. The fruitful, fruitful wife proved that the problem did not reside in the husband. It was all the fault, if you want to say that, of the barren wife. This would be difficult enough in itself, but if the childbearing wife used her own fruitfulness to mock and accuse the barren wife, it could become intolerable as in the cases of Abraham and Sarah, Jacob and Rachel, and Elkanah and Hannah. Satan is a mocker, and he's always looking for people to speak in his behalf. We should always be alert to the voice of the accuser, no matter who is doing the speaking. Sometimes we even accuse ourselves. Thankfully, God is bigger than all of this. 1 John 3.20 In every case mentioned in this article, the barren wives were dearly beloved by their husbands. This is very important because fruitlessness 
is often interpreted as being a sign that God does not love us or has withdrawn his favor from us. Elkanah and Hannah provide the perfect example of what I'm talking about. Penina was the fruitful wife. Hannah was the beloved barren wife. Here's what the Bible says about that triangular relationship. And I read from 1 Samuel 1, 3 through 8. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented a sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Benina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? That's from the New Living Translation. Being her husband's beloved was not enough for Hannah. She could not say that her husband rejected her because she did not give him children. Nothing could be further from the truth. This is an important point. There are many, many childless wives who are dearly loved by their husbands. Nevertheless, their fruitlessness still gnaws at their souls. There's something inside of us that longs to be fruitful. This is true in the natural realm and the spiritual one. Spiritually, we bear children when we give birth to people through the gospel. Every time a person hears and believes the good news, a person is born again into God's kingdom. When God uses us to be part of that miracle by being the one to act as a sort of midwife in the birthing process, it brings us great joy and fulfillment. If we're not able to lead anyone or very many into a new life in Christ, over time, it wears on us, especially if we see others having great success, we begin to ask the same questions Hannah asked. What's wrong with me? Why doesn't God help me? Has he turned his back on me? What am I doing wrong? Penina made matters infinitely worse by mocking her rival, just as Hagar mocked Sarah and Leah mocked Rachel. Those who operate by measuring their own success or failures against the failures or successes of others are called legalists. The Bible tells us not to measure ourselves by any other standard than Christ. Yet there is an inner drive in us to compare ourselves to others in an attempt to feel better about ourselves. Sometimes it boomerangs, making us feel frustrated. Hannah fell into this trap. She was already feeling horrible, but, but Penina's mockery threw gas on the fire. It got so bad 
that Hannah was inconsolable. Fortunately, she knew what to do. She took her frustration to God. For Samuel 1, 9 through 11 reads, After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. That's the English Standard Version. In every case mentioned earlier, either the wife or the husband used their frustration over childlessness to turn to God for help. Doing this allows us to progress from frustration to faith. When things come easily to us, we may undervalue them. The more important a promise is to God's plan, the greater the weight in the battle. For example, Abraham had to wait 25 years for God to fulfill his promise and give him a son. In the interim, he grew weary of waiting and attempted to help God by resorting to a man-made solution. When we do that, we may end up with an Ishmael, an ongoing thorn in the side. For another example, consider David, <clears throat> who had to wait about 15 years to become king. He went through some very dark and lonely places along the way when he was tempted to throw in the towel. Consider Joseph, about whom the Bible says, and I quote from Psalm 105:19, the Lord's promise tested him through fiery trials until his prediction came true. That's God's word translation. Those who fought in the American Revolution on the Patriot or Rebel side also went through some very dark and trying days. When things were extremely bleak and many were ready to give up, Thomas Paine printed a pamphlet that turned the tide entitled The American Crisis. These memorable words are found in it. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods, and it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. In Abraham's case, much more was at stake than his having an heir. A nation was being birthed. In Joseph's situation, his own destiny was not the only thing God had in mind. Rather, the preservation of his chosen people, the line of the Messiah, hung in the balance. 
And God was going to use Hannah's frustrated desire to have a son to birth one of the great prophets of Israel, whom God would use to install its first and second kings. God seems to enjoy bringing his greatest blessings into the world in miraculous ways against all odds, using very unlikely people whom the world despises and judges to be worthless. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things that are counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. That's the New Living Translation. So, if you are frustrated and discouraged that promises God made to you look as if they will never come to pass, don't listen to the mocker and the accuser. Instead, like Hannah, seek the Lord and ask him to give you what you want so much. But, like Hannah, be prepared to hold on to the fulfillment very loosely because God may want to use it or him or her for his kingdom. If we give away to God that for which we have waited for a long time, he will make it up to us. Hannah gave her long-awaited son Samuel to God's service, and God gave her more children to call her own. The point of this article is that we should never give up on God's promises, even if it is not our lot to experience their fulfillment for ourselves. Hebrews 11:13 says that these people died still believing what God had promised them, and they did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. Sometimes God wants us to be faithful so that the next generation can experience the fulfillment. Moses got Israel through the wilderness, but Joshua led them into the promised land. Abraham fathered one son of promise, but that son would become the father of a multitude, culminating in the Messiah. God's promise to Abraham was fulfilled through his descendants. We are in this for the long haul, which may include multiple generations. We cannot properly measure the value or significance of our lives and ministries. Only God can do that. Ours is to be faithful, possessing a loyalty and steadfastness that comes from being full of faith. We must not cave to discouragement, frustration, or fear. As Winston Churchill so famously said, never, never, never give up. We must not give up on God's promises. 
He is absolutely faithful to his word. He will never let us down. He prizes faith, especially faith that keeps going when the chips are down. Who knows? God may use us to give birth to another miracle.